This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, September 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2021. We're jam-packed. Of course, it is a Thursday night, which means we are, well, in some cases, minutes away from week four starting, but in most cases, about 48 hours away from it starting. Got a lot of different angles to go at tonight. There's something I really have tried to find time to talk about this week, but there was no time, so I'm going to do it tonight. You see the thumbnail if you're watching on YouTube. It says, don't get fooled or don't be fooled again. Even though I designed it, I don't even know what it says. But the spirit is there. There are a lot of people, I think, being fooled. And I'm trying to let us not be among them by teams that are already being cast aside. It's not the time to do that yet. Check the calendar. It's not even October. So we're going to talk about some teams that we need to be very careful disposing of. I don't think it's time for that yet. I've got several more thoughts on games that we have not even had time to touch on this week. I mean, like 10 or 15 of them. It's a really good undercard. There is no top five matchup this week. We're going to be in Arlington, a street named Dallas, for Arkansas versus Texas A&M. You know you got Notre Dame, Wisconsin. We've already broken down LSU at Mississippi State. But, guys, there are like 10 or 15 games that if you're like us and you really love the sport and you're not just kind of a flyover fan, there's a lot to get excited about. So I'm going to touch on that. I'm going to talk about Alabama a little bit tonight. There's a conversation going on out there. Some parts I agree with, some parts I don't agree with, all parts I'm interested in, about the overall vulnerability level. We only use that word with a few teams, vulnerable. Are they vulnerable? Uh, Because beatable is not something you're quite ready to say yet because they haven't lost, but I'm going to discuss that tonight. So, uh, man, what a 72-hour period we've had. I really encourage you, if you have not already done so, listen to this morning's Late Kick Extra podcast. I would say wall-to-wall, It's the most entertaining Late Kick Extra podcast that I think we've put out. Uh, We had it confirmed that over the past 72 hours, one, two, three of our viewers slash listeners have had appendectomies. I had Director Colin check, and Medical Colin says that's when they take your appendix out. And so we've confirmed that. But what also happened is these folks didn't even miss the show the other night, so much so that they felt the need to screenshot evidence that, A, they had lost their appendix, via medical procedure, and B, they were still listening to the show. And then one of you even said, hey, I'm sitting here wearing my T-shirt from Academy Sports while I'm watching the show. Uh, That is the perfect viewer. That is the perfect listener, by the way. So we got some good news coming your way from Academy tonight. It's going to be kind of a tease, but I'm going to let you know as much as I can let you know. And also, and probably the most important thing I can tell you as we dive in, We got viewers all over the place. We give shout-outs when we can. Tonight's shout-out is going just down the road from where we are in Nashville. We're headed to Headland, Alabama. And I'm going to tell you why we're headed to Headland, Alabama. Because that's where Michael Bush is. And Michael Bush is enjoying a birthday this weekend. And so I just want to wish him happy birthday from not only us here at Late Kick, but also the kids, the wife, and everyone in between. But Michael, from us to you, we appreciate you watching Happy birthday, brother. I hope the video skipping did not take away from that joyous occasion. So let's dive in 
And before we talk about the entirety of week four, I just want to take a second. This is one of those zoom out features that we do sometimes. And we need to take a deep breath and just acknowledge that there are some teams out there with blemishes that we don't need to discount quite yet. So I want to just take some time and let's go around the room and let's take a look at a few of these teams. North Carolina is one of those teams. And I'm going to talk about several of them here that I think we need to be really careful just discounting wholesale because they've, I don't know, lost a football game, which tends to happen. Keep in mind, you need to view these teams within the proper context. Right now, there is no giant out there. Like last year, it was Alabama. And so if you lost a game or you even looked weak, everyone looked at you, and in the context of the playoff, they said, this team could never beat that team. Forget about this team. Well, that's no way to think about college football to begin with. But secondly, we don't have a 2020 Alabama. We don't have a 2019 LSU out there anywhere waiting in the wings to destroy you. And so it's a more wide open field, which stands to reason and stands to mean don't be discounting people just because they lose a game. So what about North Carolina? They lose on the road at Virginia Tech. It's a really tough place to play in week one. The road in general has not been kind, in case you haven't noticed, for a lot of even really talented teams early in the season, because a lot of your kids haven't played in true road environments. And so when we look at North Carolina, yeah, they've lost a game. Well, they rebounded nicely. They've played a couple of games, especially last week against Virginia, where the offense that you didn't see in week one finally showed up. I'm always very hesitant in discounting these teams that have as much potential firepower as North Carolina has. And so you've got Sam Howell there. You've got a staff that knows how to get it done offensively. The big question there has become, are they either going to be good enough or opportunistic enough defensively to end up stringing a little stretch together here that, for instance, could have already started last week to where all of a sudden you're looking up in, let's say, mid-October when they're playing Florida State and Miami, and all of a sudden you find yourself saying, wow, this team's really hit its stride. You know it's coming. You know there are going to be one or two or three of these teams that we're about to talk about that hit a stride. It happens every year. This year will be no different. North Carolina could be one of those teams. And if they are, that's the kind of team that you find yourself in November looking at and saying, wow, no one wants to play them. Or I wish we would have caught them earlier in the year. Keep an eye on North Carolina. Got like a massive hiccup here. Trying to keep it suppressed though. Another team that I want you to look at is the University of Texas. Texas, the moment you saw them get run out of the building by Arkansas, was a team that a lot of people dismissed. And Texas has no business being dismissed yet. That Arkansas game, what I want you to do is not forget about it. I want you to remember it, but I want you to bookmark it because we need to come back to it in a few weeks for some proper context. Just as sometimes a win is overinflated, like Alabama over Miami week one, you don't think as highly of that win anymore. Well, sometimes a loss can have the same kind of impact. You look at a loss to Arkansas, a team that maybe at the time you didn't think highly of, and you say, Texas, y'all can't even get it done against Arkansas. Forget about you. Well, then you end up looking back and you say, uh, well, first off, it turns out you should have known that night. Not many teams would have gone into that building in that environment and won. But then B, maybe down the road, you're saying, it's not a bad team they lost to. And since then, they have validated a lot of my preseason expectation about them. Casey Thompson has worked his way into a groove now that he is the starting quarterback there. And that's the kind of thing you could find yourself saying about Texas. But I'll tell you, now that they've lost a game, I think a lot of the white hot spotlight is on them. We've already seen the quarterback switch that, to be honest with you, I was scared of, but it's happened. So you got to roll with it now. They're about to enter conference play this week. They got past food last week. They blanked Rice. So now they play Texas Tech. I'm going to talk about that game a little bit later on, but look at that stretch. 
Texas Tech at TCU against Oklahoma, obviously in Dallas. Then they got Oklahoma State at Baylor at Iowa State. This doesn't get any easier. That's what we know part one. Part two is we know Texas is good enough to win all those games. Texas is always going to be a team too talented enough to totally discount just because they have one loss on their resume. This is a team that has hit its stride, put on a kind of winning streak potential under its belt. We'll see if they're able to pull it out at any stretch. Uh, Up the road, and I mean a good ways up the road, in the Big 12, Iowa State. Uh, I've got, obviously, emotional attachment here. Every season, Iowa State or anyone else carries with it certain outliers. For our purposes, a lot of times when we get to the postseason grade time for our model, a lot of times I like to run simultaneous or concurrent uh, model runs, postseason model runs. One of them just takes every bit of data into account, and then one is a margin shaver. And so what I do is I like to shave off the top and the bottom. Some of you had teachers like that back in the day. They would take your worst grade off of your final report card. Well, I do that, but I also take your best grade off, and I think the real you is somewhere in between there. Well, those are outliers. Iowa State obviously had an outlier of a game already. It just so happened to come on the biggest stage. It came against Iowa. They were minus four turnovers. You look at the box score. You look at the postgame win expectancy, you know, stuff that doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but it does matter in terms of future-looking predictability. And it said Iowa State should have won the game. Well, they didn't because they choked, because they turned the ball over. Or, alternately, alternately, yeah, Iowa forced turnovers. You could also put it that way. Nevertheless, Iowa State has largely been dismissed because of that. You shouldn't dismiss them yet. They went on the road, albeit to UNLV. So they got right last week, had one of those classic get-right games. This is a figure skater of a team. You watch figure skating, and believe me, I am the world's foremost expert on that craft. And I was always fascinated how, you know, if you're a figure skater and you you got all your arms extended and everything, but then you slowly draw them in, you start speeding up, the spin rate starts speeding up. Iowa has to do the whole compacted speed spin, and I'm sure that's the technical terminology, for the rest of the season. They can't get loose. They can't have any parts of their operation get loose. But we've seen them go on that kind of run before. And just because they have a loss right now, we need to also take into account all of their springboard games, potentially, are still in front of them. They've still got at Kansas State, but you're looking a little ways down the road. They've got Texas. They've got Oklahoma. You potentially have a Big 12 championship game. All the mechanisms that they need to get their name back in this race, they're still down the road. And the other thing with all these teams to keep in mind is it's an inevitability any year, but especially this year, that they're going to have teams ahead of them losing. So there are going to be some of these teams that you have even forgotten about as late as mid-October that end up getting back in very consequential conference and playoff races. What about USC? I was going to spend a whole lot more time on the Trojans tonight, but unfortunately, about two hours ago, it was revealed via uscfootball.com. Our folks out there on the West Coast revealed that Jackson Dart had a procedure, minor in nature, but a surgical procedure, I, I think it was on a meniscus, and so he's going to be out a few weeks. Now, it wasn't menisci, which would be both of them. It's just meniscus. So it's not the plural. It's the singular. Uh, but it looks like he's going to be out a little while. And that is consequential because Jackson Dart was the backup quarterback that came off the bench this past week and really took it to Washington State. Looked really good. Jackson Dart's a guy all the way back to the spring that we had been talking about. And in the summertime, we'd been talking about him and how it really looked like in the first few weeks of fall camp, 
he was emerging as a legitimate candidate to play this year. Turns out he ended up getting his shot, and he took advantage of it, but he also got hurt. So I don't know where they're going to be right now. USC, if they had the services of Jackson Dart, which is a guy I ultimately felt was going to give him the best chance to win, even then, they've already fired a head coach. You got quarterback, I won't say turnover, but you had some shuffling of the chairs there. At the best, USC was going to be kind of like if you ever played video games as a kid and you, you 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 put the controllers and everything up. And inevitably, when you pull it back out, all the wires are tangled up. And so you try to go slow and untangle them. But eventually, you just shake them violently in hopes that you shake it just the right way where all the cords come undone and everything's nice and neat. That is USC this year. I want to see them get one violent shake and maybe everything separates and maybe everything just falls into place. It's hard to envision that now that Jackson Dart's gone down. Crazier things have happened. I think there, there is two ways you can go when you fire a coach. Either everything goes into the tank or you find out that you know, maybe there were guys in the locker room that respond positively to that move. And then there is a gelling collectively and you just see a, a culture quantum leap. I don't know what it's going to do there because we've, we've only seen one game. But that's something to keep an eye on. But across town, UCLA is another one. There's this duality of college football going on with UCLA right now. You saw them beat LSU, but then you most recently saw them lose to Fresno State. And the whole duality is, I got some folks who were yelling from the mountaintops last week, you know, Fresno's really solid. They could upset UCLA. Watch out. Well, then they did it. And the same person will tell you, oh, UCLA's done. They can't even beat Fresno. It's like, did they lose to a really good team or did they not? Because you were telling me last week, that's, that's, no, that's no team to shake a stick at now. Fresno, pretty good. Oh, you lost to Fresno? Yeah, they lost to Fresno. It's a really good team. This is, this is not a UCLA team that we're talking about within the context of are they or are they not top five material? Are they or are they not a really solid football team? I think they're a really solid football team. I think I underrated them coming into the season. And the point is, much as is the case with Iowa State, much as is the case with Texas, they got a loss on their early season resume. It's not even a conference loss. They've got everything in front of them, too. I think UCLA has the most challenging conference schedule out of any of those Pac-12 South teams, but they hadn't played a single game yet. USC's already fired a head coach. Utah's already lost a couple of games. And so who knows how that shakes out. But North Carolina, Texas, Iowa State, USC, UCLA, be very careful just dismissing these teams in this kind of environment just because they lost a game. Can you imagine going back to 07? If you had dismissed every team that lost a game, it turned out that year you couldn't even afford to dismiss teams that lost two games because a two-loss team in LSU won the national championship. So be careful, friends. Don't get fooled. Get fooled once. Don't get fooled again. I said I had some good news from Academy. Uh, Here's the good news. Now, this is going to be broad. This is going to be 50,000-foot good news, and then we'll slowly zoom in as time allows. The folks at Academy, as you know, came to us, and it was very quick. The deal came together very quick. And they have been in touch with us this week to express their over-the-moon satisfaction with what you have been doing. And what you have been doing, because they have partnered with our show and we have endorsed Academy wholeheartedly, is you've been buying products from Academy Sports and Outdoors. So much so that they've hit us up and said, "Uh, hey, man, we love this. What more can we do? Well, there's a whole lot more that they can do and we can do together. And so in the coming days and weeks, I'm going to be making some announcements to where some of you are still going to be getting some things from Academy. 
it just may not cost you any money to do so. Really fun, really excited about it. And here's the good part. It's not going to be some random contest you're entering. That's not the way we roll here. It's going to be totally up to my discretion as to who gets what. Start sucking up now. That's what I'm telling you. But in the meantime, if you're headed out this weekend to any kind of tailgate, Academy Sports and Outdoors, if you can't already tell, is where we would highly advise you to go for all of your tailgating needs. I cannot wait, even at a neutral site. I can't wait to get to Dallas this weekend because if I know Texas A&M fans, and I know Arkansas fans, whether it's a grove with lush vegetation or whether it is a parking lot in the middle of Arlington, Texas, the tailgate scene is going to be wild. And I would imagine it's going to be the same in Chicago, but I would also imagine it'll be the same in Atlanta. Uh, It'll be the same at South Carolina, all over the place. You see those tents for miles and miles. You smell the smells. That's a grill you got to have to do that everything from the shirt you put on your back to the grill that you put those steaks on, you can find it. Academy Sports and Outdoors. And if you don't want to get up and drive all the way to the store, which I love because I love the in-store experience, academy.com. That is your place. Academy is the one-stop shop for all of your tailgating needs. And thank you, as always, to them for making the show possible. I have a question for you. Uh, You may be a Bama fan. You may be a Bama hater. You may be totally indifferent. But I got a question for you. How vulnerable is Alabama right now? And on a scale of not one to Alabama, I want you to tell me on a scale of one to 2021 college football, how vulnerable is Alabama right now? As you've probably realized at this point in Nick Saban's tenure, this team right here we discuss differently than any other team. By we, I mean everyone, not just us. Everyone talks about Bama different. They are held to a different standard. They are judged on a different scale. And it's a non-seasonal scale, which sometimes gets aggravating because I'll listen to people talk about Bama and they'll criticize Alabama and I'll just listen politely and then I'll say, all right, but what are you trying to tell me? I'm just telling you, what are you trying to tell me? Are you trying to tell me they're worse than number one or are they number one? Well, I think they're still number one, but I'm just saying, that's it. No, that's it. That's the end of the conversation. If you think they're the best team in the country, then they're the best team in the country. But that's not the way people grade Alabama. Some of their own fan base. That's not the way they judge Bama. They judge them non-seasonally. Alabama gets held to the standard of past Alabama teams. Everyone else in the country gets held to the standard of that year's Alabama team. And there's a difference. Because what's good enough for some people when it comes to someone wearing a non-crimson jersey is all of a sudden a little bit substandard when the jersey is crimson. Case in point, last week, Bama goes to one of the toughest places on that particular Saturday that anyone would ever have to go into. I am telling you right now, there are about 128 other teams that would have gone into Gainesville and toted a loss coming out of there. Alabama won, but since it was close, the whole world is on fire and everything is Hindenburging to the ground. Well, uh, we can do two things here. We can acknowledge that was a really tough place to play. It was a good win to get, but there are some vulnerabilities, relatively speaking. So let's talk about it because... The one thing, one of many benefits, actually, to being associated with 24-7 sports is we have the entire network of team site insiders, but just the team sites themselves are such a valuable resource. When you go on those message boards, there are some really informed posters. A lot of them are team insiders themselves. A lot of them are former or current coaches. And so over on Bama Online, if any of you ever peruse that message board, Uh, If you can get past all the Tim Watts nonsense there and you can get into the real meat of that message board, Vigo214 is a really good poster over there. 
And so I was scrolling, because I wanted to talk about Bama tonight, and I was scrolling over there on their board today, and he had put something on there that I so agreed with, I figured, why talk myself when I can just speak what he said? So if you want to, go over there and find it, but just a few things that he touched on that totally echo my sentiment right now. It couldn't have been any more in alignment with how I feel if I had typed it. Consistency is their issue. That's very broad. Let's zoom it in some. If you watch the Florida game, you probably needed more than two hands to count the amounts of times that you saw improper assignment and improper alignment. A lot of it had to stem from the linebacker position, even more specifically the inside linebacker positions. Uh, There were some very poor angles or decisions made in the secondary, but Henry Toa tough day the other day. Christian Harris, tough day the other day. And it's not that either of those guys lack the fundamental knowledge of how to play the game, which means it stems from alignment and or assignment. And that's what Dan Mullen can do to you, understandably so. But the problem there is different, is what I'm saying, than the problem at some places. Some places, you watch a product on the field that's not good enough, and you say, well, that's just it. Those players can't get it done. I mean, you know these players can get it done for Alabama, uh, but they have been inconsistent thus far this year, and it doesn't stop at linebacker. Their offensive line issues, and I think this was another really good point that was actually brought up over there on the board, really had, I think, a lot to do with that center position. And uh, Travis Ryer had talked about this a lot last week, but it was taking a new center out on the road and that particular offensive line group working together, center included, for the first time on the road, it created issues for them. That may sound like a non-issue. You know, that may sound like, well, when you snap the ball, you snap the ball. Well, you got to understand what a fourth of a second, you know, what a third of a second means in that kind of game when you got the kind of speed rush and edge rush. And just overall athleticism in the front that Florida does, you know, half a second means a whole lot. And they were about a half a second slow in a lot of their get-off. And they were also very poor in communication. A lot of that stems from being new and inexperienced, and especially together, at center. These are two things that I've explained to you so far that can be rectified. The third thing, and I think this is paramount, is they've got to get deeper at receiver. they got to have a third and I would prefer a fourth option that they can really lean on. This time last year, uh, it was probably around this time, actually, that they lost Jalen Waddle. It was, I think, the Tennessee game, if I'm not mistaken. They lost Jalen Waddle, and they seemed to never miss a beat. And the reason is because they had John Mechie as the third receiver, but then when Waddle went down, Mechie, yeah, he stepped up, but then you had Najee Harris, who was a godsend, not only as a running back, but as a pass catcher out of the backfield. But that's also when Jaleel Billingsley started to emerge a whole lot more as a receiver, even though he's technically listed as a tight end. Who is that this year? Because you're counting on Mechie to be one of your go-tos. You know, you're counting on him and you're counting on Jamison Williams, who you got from Ohio State. And you know that you can count on those guys um, to be kind and to please a cousin of mine in Montgomery, Slade Bolden, probably not going to be the guy ultimately who fills that role for them. Uh, There is a full-on free JoJo Earl movement underway amongst Bama fans uh, that I happen to endorse. JoJo Earl, I think it's inevitable that you're going to see him get a lot more touches down the road, uh, starting last week, really. But outside of him, when you hear Nick Saban be so demonstrative when he's talking about guys like Ajay Hall and he's talking about these other receivers He knows he's got the talent there. It's not a talent issue. Can they depend on guys? They will not put them on the field. If they cannot count on them to be secure with the ball, 
to execute their assignment, to block. If they can't count on them to do that, guys, it's not just about catching a ball and putting a couple of highlight plays on a reel. That's not how you play the receiver position anywhere, much less at a place like Alabama. The reason he gets so aggravated is because he knows they got, they got the horses. They got to learn to run the right way. And that's what to watch again, because this is the third point I've made now, where it's not a talent issue. There's not a deficiency in talent. They've got it. They got to get it consistent. That normally happens. A hallmark of good teams is they keep improving. And so I would venture to think all these compartments so far we talked about, there's going to be improvement that happens. And I think Alabama is going to round into form that is a lot better than what you're seeing right now. But I'll tell you another thing old Vigo said over there that I could not help but agree with is he pointed out some criticism that's being levied at Bryce Young. I have no clue where it comes from. And maybe you're someone who's been critical of Bryce Young. Let me just ask you something. So I think it's laughable. I think Bryce Young's played very good. Notice what I didn't say. I didn't say flawless. I just said from what you should reasonably expect from a first-year starter with an inadequate, at times, offensive line, an undependable run game, not quality elite depth that's emerged at receiver yet. Oh, and by the way, a new coordinator? And you go on the road the first time and still find a way to win a game? I don't know what more you're expecting. People got drunk on watching Joe Burrow and Mac Jones is what happened. That's not real foot. That's not real life. That's not real world expectation. That's fantasy football. That's video game world. That should never be able to happen. Those were superhuman type performances. The real world looks like this. It looks like DJ at Clemson. It looks like Stroud at Ohio State. The first time you step on the field, it should be hard. It should always be hard. But it should even look hard to the common eye at home the first time you're stepping on the field. I think Bryce Young has performed very admirably. Let me tell you how you'd know if he hasn't. They would have, again, taken an L home from Gainesville the other day if he wasn't playing admirably. He doesn't have that offensive line Mac Jones had to lean on. He doesn't have receivers coming off a conveyor belt like Mac Jones had and even Tua had to a certain extent. They don't have that right now. But they do have him playing good enough to win football games. I don't think it's going to get worse. I think it's only going to get better. So where is Alabama right now? I think they're in the early stages of rounding into eventually what they're going to be. You saw their schedule earlier. They've got some time. But here's the problem. You see that date next week, actually, on October 2nd against Ole Miss? That's the time when you may have to trade points. See, this game last week in Gainesville, it wasn't a first to 45. It ended up being about a first to 30 type deal. I don't know, given what that defense looked like last week, that 30 is going to be enough next week. I know that makes you very uncomfortable, but we all remember what happened last year too. So uh, yeah, that receiver depth development and dependability development and that cohesion and consistency, it'll be a lot easier playing at home. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's a task at hand that you still got to get done. So that's how I view Alabama right now. I don't make a lot of promises, but I could pretty much promise you the conversation we're having about them in November will sound a lot different. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! I got a lot of things I'm watching in week four, and I would encourage you to watch them with me. Ohio State made an announcement today. Ryan Day, to put a finer point on it, the head coach there. They're playing Akron. I don't talk about Akron a whole lot, all due respect, but Kyle McCord is starting at quarterback. C.J. Stroud is being given the day off to rest an injured shoulder. And this has taken a baseball bat to the hornet's nest up in Columbus. A lot of people have a lot of things to say about this, and there are several different ways this can go. Because C.J. Stroud has not just lit the world on fire. I don't think he's played bad, but he has not met the expectation level that a lot of people set, whether it was falsely set or not, he has not met it yet. And so now this was going to be the game he got fat during, but instead he's not playing and Kyle McCord's going to come in. Remember, this was a quarterback battle during camp. It was C.J. Stroud in the catbird seat the whole time, but this was a battle. Didn't get technically decided until a week or two before the season started. So anyway, there were people up there that whispered about Kyle McCord, and, well, maybe he's the right guy for the job. Okay, with that being the backdrop, I want you to understand something about Akron. This is as close to throwing the ball against air as any FBS team will come. This is one of the worst pass defenses you will ever see. There is zero doubt that this is going to be a complete blowtorch job that Kyle McCord is able to execute. Even if they don't let him throw the ball a lot, it's still going to be a torch job. There should be, I mean, there should be zip codes between some of these Ohio State receivers and their nearest defender. So that's going to happen. It's a fact that Kyle McCord's going to look really good this Saturday. There are several ways this can go. Okay, here's, here's what I think I know about Ohio State. I think it's a fact that C.J. Stroud has had some consistency issues. I think it's also a fact that Ryan Day chose him for a reason. And I think the reason is because he knows a whole lot more than I or you do about Ohio State football and how to win, namely, and he viewed him as the best guy for the job that gave them the best chance to do that. But here's now the speculation that seeps in. If C.J. Stroud is struggling due to injury, then what kind of injury are we talking about? They are notoriously tight-lipped up there. All we know is it's like a sore shoulder, but you really don't know what that means. If this were just something where he's got an ingrown toenail and it's not something that develops his passing, well, when he's good, he's good. But if Kyle McCord lights the world on fire, spoiler alert, he will Saturday, and C.J. Stroud is still slow to mend, boy, it could really put you in a little predicament trying to make a decision as to who's your starter week to week, and that's the last place a coaching staff wants to be. That's why there are consequences to success. It has been a success to win to the degree that Ohio State has. It's a success to recruit to the degree they have. But now you get to suffer a consequence of your success, and that is having all this quarterback depth. It's a good thing, but that doesn't make it easy to handle or manage. So watch that. You know, when Ohio State's up 55-3 to at probably halftime, and you look at that stat line, is it going to be, we don't care he did it against Akron, or it's undeniable even if it is against Akron? You'll see. That, that tone will change at Ohio State. How about Texas? Texas, we already talked about earlier in the show, Texas welcomes in Texas Tech into Austin Saturday. The line on this thing is about seven or seven and a half. Texas has been wonderful this year on third down offensively. They've made the quarterback switch too. It is Casey Thompson's job now. Uh, it, 
it was Hudson Card. We saw the change get made at Arkansas. Uh, we saw Casey Thompson last week light rice on fire. Don't lose to food. And so, boy, they need it this week. They need to be razor efficient on third down. They need to keep Texas Tech off the field. There is a great unknown in the Big 12, and that is how good is Texas Tech? You remember we talked about them in August. I told you I had a staffer out there in the Big 12 tell me a lot of folks around here are cutting an eye over at Lubbock because they got a lot of size at receiver. Uh, We think they're really good. They ended up, we think, striking gold in the quarterback transfer market with Tyler Shuck from Oregon. So they got a starting caliber quarterback from the transfer portal. But we don't know how good they are because they haven't played anyone yet, but they've done what they're supposed to against inferior competition. And all of a sudden they're coming in here this week. And uh, it's, it's one of those where so many people are uneasy around Texas. Like you think, oh, if we do our job, we'll win. But you also wonder, how long can we be this efficient on third down? And what if we go six for 14 on third down this week and they end up being the one that's more efficient there? Do they end up uh, beating us? Well, here's how you avoid that. The way you avoid it is you do to Texas Tech what Arkansas did to you. Because what Texas Tech has not seen is a running game, the likes of which you should be able to put on the field. In fact, you should own both lines of scrimmage, if we're being honest with ourselves. Just run the ball and then run it some more and run it some more. If you want to talk about the best formula to make sure that Texas Tech is neutralized, it's them not being on the field. And you have direct say over that because of the run game you have. Seven-point spread. Keep an eye on it. Florida versus Tennessee. The last time you saw Florida, obviously, they were that close. They were trying to convert two points to probably send the Alabama game into overtime. Well, it fell short. So what does that mean? You don't know. No one knows. This game is where we start to learn what that close loss against Alabama meant for Florida. We've seen teams go in the tank after those kinds of games. We've seen teams explode after those kinds of games. It's up to Florida. And this is one where, if you're a Florida fan, you know what I'm about to say. Todd Grantham's defense has struggled against tempo. It is well-documented. It's well-chronicled. And so it's kind of the same formula as we just talked about with Texas and Texas Tech. Here's what you do know if you're Florida. You know you can run the ball. You know your offensive line had the best game under John Hevesy to date last week against Alabama. Do more of it. Blow them off the ball. You got advantages in team speed, and you got advantages in lines of scrimmage. Take advantage of it. That's exactly how you beat Tennessee and exactly how not just beat them, but that's how you you stifle this whole upset alert early and you end up cruising to a win. That would be impressive. Because you're going to have a lot of let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks kind of approach for Tennessee this week. You don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be yet. Could be Hendon Hooker. Could be Joe Milton. Colin doesn't even know. So I surely don't know. But the speed and the edge in the run game, it should be good enough for Florida. They can't be messing around and turning the ball over. You can't sleepwalk against this kind of team because they'll run 17 plays on you in the first quarter before you've even batted an eye. Can't afford to do that. Florida needs a fast start. What about Clemson at North Carolina State? We didn't break this one down the other night. You know, Clemson's opened, I think, as a 12-point favorite. They're a 10-point favorite now. This is on the road. It's hard to believe that this is Clemson, what they've been so far. It's hard to believe this is just them. I, I find it really hard to believe with the level of raw team talent they have, there's not another gear they're going to hit. Now, it may not be a gear that's on par with what they've been in the past offensively, but you know there's one team out there, I think this is right, I think there's one FBS team that hasn't allowed a touchdown yet offensively, and it's that team in orange. I mean, they've been dominant defensively. Now, what's interesting is you listen to Brent Venables after last week against Georgia Tech, and you listen to Dabo Swinney, and he said, 
we had tons of mistakes defensively. You guys don't know because we didn't have to pay for them. But just because we didn't pay for them doesn't mean they weren't there. Now, that's something to file away. Because I don't think they're lying about that. It's just, it just so happens that Georgia Tech didn't make them pay for it. So tuck that away, because I don't necessarily know if this is the offense that will make them pay for it either. But I will tell you this. If you uh, think that what you saw NC State do or not do against Mississippi State has much bearing in this game, you're probably wrong. You probably hadn't watched much college football in your life. This is pure Super Bowl mode for North Carolina State. All the focus is on this Clemson offense. But you got a defense you know you can lean on. Problem for Clemson is NC State feels the same way right now. Uh, Dabo said earlier this week, and I agree, that it's probably the most athletic, maybe even the best flat-out offensive line that they'll play all year. And he's including Georgia in that statement. So, you know, maybe there are some plays to be had against Clemson. We just haven't seen someone properly equipped to do it so far. Uh, This is one I think that will be close. Now, our model tends to like Clemson to cover. Boy, it's, it's hard. You know, it's, it's something that I looked at and I said, interesting. I think I'll go elsewhere this week. Keep an eye on that. That's a 3.30 kickoff. North Carolina at Georgia Tech, kind of. North Carolina is going to Atlanta. They're not going to Grant Field. They're playing this one in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. A lot of conjecture out there about who will actually have the home field advantage in terms of overall attendance numbers. Uh, North Carolina will be well represented there. I can tell you that. This is kind of step two for North Carolina's redemption tour. They're not calling it that yet, but we got to label everything. So I'm going to call it a redemption tour. You lost to Virginia Tech. Unlike some of these other teams that lost in week one, that's a conference loss. So you're already behind the eight ball in conference play. That's okay as long as you get your act together. Do they have their act together? Is that Virginia sample size, in other words, is that enough to show us everything we need to know? Well, I think what happened last week with Georgia Tech versus Clemson did both of these teams favors. It showed Georgia Tech, maybe we have taken steps forward. Maybe we can compete with the best. But it also probably did Mac Brown a huge favor because it grabbed his entire team by the shoulders. It shook them and said, uh, do you see this team right here? This is not a pushover now. Uh, they, they almost beat Clemson last week. It's not a pushover. And Mac Brown probably didn't have to do anything other than pop on the tape and then just kind of look around with a toothpick in his mouth. So I think you'll get the best effort from both teams. Chunk plays. That's what to pay attention to here. Chunk plays. Because North Carolina had a ton of them against Virginia last week. Georgia Tech doesn't give up a whole lot of them. And so it, it's very interesting if this becomes what we call a bear trap game. And that is... You buy into a team that's putting up crooked numbers offensively, but it is so heavily predicated on explosive plays that when you face a team that can kind of bury Odom you to death, give up the underneath stuff, but they take away the deep stuff, eventually they bear trap you. And you get bored settling for the underneath stuff. And you fall into the trap they've set, and they end up plus three turnovers beating you 27 to 26. If Georgia Tech's to win this game, that's probably how they pull it off. Offensively, it, it, it's not a David, or it's, it's not a Goliath, Goliath kind of deal, but it could be a bear trap game. There is a path for Georgia Tech to win this thing. The line's under two touchdowns. It's about 12, 12 and a half right now, so keep an eye on that one. There are so many more games. Iowa State is a seven point favorite at Baylor. Be careful. Again, uh, that's one where Iowa State, you know, they're in tight figure skater mode, can't afford another loss. How about Kentucky, favored by five at South Carolina? Rutgers is going to Michigan. Michigan's favored by 20. We may very well get on Rutgers by the time kickoff happens on the Ramen Noodle Express. Kansas State's headed to Oklahoma State. That's under a touchdown spread. Michigan State under a touchdown favorite against Nebraska. There are a lot of games on this undercard 
that bear close watching this Saturday. Again, as always, don't let them tell you it is a Saturday to overlook. Don't let them tell you this is the one that we can go to the hardware store on. This is the one we can go to our cousin's wedding on. No, no, no. Meanwhile, let's uh, finish out the Ramen Noodle Express here. We added another best bet earlier today. If you're not, make sure you're following on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Got to make sure you're following or else, well, you miss a lot of the best numbers. So here's what we already have to uh, go over this one more time. We got Army minus 6.5. You've already missed that number if you didn't get it earlier in the week. We got Central Michigan minus 10.5. They're playing Florida International. We got Utah State plus 9.5. They're playing Boise. San Jose State plus one and a half. Travel nightmare for the Spartans, but we're taking them anyway. They're on the road at Western Michigan. Okay, we've taken Colorado plus 14 and a half at Arizona State. And then today, we took one of the worst teams on the planet, Louisiana Monroe, at home against Troy. Louisiana Monroe plus 24. I saw some talk out there today that some models actually project UL Monroe to score negative points. Well, I had, I had Director Colin. And I had curator Colin go through the history books, and that's never happened. They're not going to be held under scoreless, so we're going to be okay. We're going to make it together. Uh, Make sure you're following on Instagram Live, too, because I would imagine we're going to add more to this. So I don't think the Ramen Noodle Express is full. We have not put the caboose on that thing yet. So make sure you're following, because once I get in the hotel room tomorrow night in Dallas, we will have some things to discuss, just you and I. For Director Colin, for our entire crew in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great weekend. Can't wait to see you guys in Dallas. Until then, have yourselves a great Friday, and God bless.